Well, it is great to see everyone this morning and great to be with you in worship. As Justin said, we are going to be in 1 Peter. We're actually going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 in just a couple of moments. I do want to mention, if you are going to if you, the luncheon in Burlington today to learn more about ministry to the Afghan refugees, uh, or if you just want more information, Greg Detweiler is sitting right back there. You wave your hands there, Greg. There he is. And he's the man in charge of that uh, ministry, uh, which exists outside of our church, but our church is, is coming together and trying to support it any way we can. So you could talk to Greg too after the service if you're not able to make the lunch in Burlington, but would like more, more information. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian, pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. And I have the privilege of opening up God's word with you here for the next couple of moments. And then we're going to take communion together in, in just a moment. And also we're going to do our little panel that we've been doing over the last few weeks. If you have been with us, you know about that. As we get going, let me ask you this question. Here's a question for you to think about. What do you list, just personally for you, what do you list as your top fears? What do you list as your top fears? What are you, what are you afraid of? I know that's different for everybody. We all have our, our different things. Uh, but what, what, what do you list as, as one of your top fears? Um, and and what, if I, what if I asked you right now to turn to your neighbor and share that? Would that increase the fear or would that, that lessen it? My guess is it would increase it. Uh, for some people, it's snakes. For some people, it's flying. For some people, uh, it's public speaking. Some of you would not want to do what I'm doing right now. In fact, public speaking often tops the list. Uh, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld has, has somewhat famously noted that on many of these lists, public speaking is number one and number two is death which he says means for most people, if you go to the funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, right? But so for so many of us, we have those fears. Here's the interesting thing. It's not just the fact that we have fear, but how our fear drives behavior. How our fear drives behavior. Sometimes that's a really good thing. Sometimes that keeps us out of a lot of trouble. Sometimes it can be a, a negative thing in our lives, actually stop us from doing things that we should be doing or could be doing. It's really interesting, isn't it, over the last 20 months, and this is what we've been getting into over, the, over this course of this sermon series, is trying to talk through the last 20 months a little bit as a church. It's really interesting, isn't it, how fear has driven behavior over the last 20 months. We could argue all day over where it's driven us to good things and where it's driven us to not so good things. But the truth is our ability to project into the future and to see results creates fear in our lives. And that has certainly impacted our behavior over the last 20 months. And it impacts our behavior. I know for one person, uh, one person that I know personally uh, disliked public speaking so much and was so fearful of it that rather than take public speaking in college, which was a required class, he found a way to take it online, never give a single speech and get the credit to count. But that's how fear drives behavior. Some of you will never go to the circus. Some of you will never get on a plane. Some of you will never go see certain animals at the zoo because of that, that fear and how it impacts our behavior. One of the things we've been talking about as we've gone, have, we've gone through 1 Peter is, is noting that Peter says, for those of us who follow Jesus, 
For those of us who call ourselves Christians, and some of you in the room call yourself a Christian, some of you don't, that's all right. We're glad that everyone is here in this same place. But for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, Peter uses a couple words to describe us throughout his letter to the church. And he uses words like exiles and sojourners. And basically what he's trying to remind us of is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that we live here. This is where we spend our time and and we're supposed to impact this world in a positive way, but yet it's not home. It's not our ultimate destination. That idea of being in exile reminds us that we live somewhere that's not our ultimate home. And Sojourner talks about is the idea of being passing through, passing through and being on our way to somewhere else. And I think most of us know who have been in different cultural situations that when you're outside of your element, when you're outside of something that makes sense to you or something that you've grown up with or something that you have known for all your life, uh, fear and uncertainty creep in, don't they? And it can happen in the most simple of things. I I remember uh, being in a train station in Florence, Italy, and I had to buy a train ticket to Rome. And that's all I wanted to do. And the Italians were nice enough to put together these unbelievable kiosks that were super easy to use. And they, even if I hit a button, went to English for me, which was great because I needed that. And so I was, remember buying that plane, that train ticket. And it was so easy. The process was so easy. All I had to do was hit Rome. All I had to do was hit first, second, or third class. And then I had my ticket and we could walk right on the train. And yet I remember being so uncomfortable in that moment that I was going to make a mistake because everything around me was so unfamiliar to me and different. And isn't it true that when you're in a different context than the one you're used to, it just makes you uncomfortable and it can, fear can creep in. Some of you are sitting here this morning and just being in church is that experience for you. This is different. People stand and sing songs you've never heard before, and they say things that you don't normally hear people say, and everyone seems to know where to sit and what to do and how to act and how to behave. And so just being in that context can make you a little bit uncomfortable. I'm so thankful for Celia and Maria uh, leading us in the Advent candle this morning, and they did such a great job, and they did such a fantastic job. And poor Maria came from Panama to study English, and then your church makes you get up and, and talk in front of everybody. And so there's all these fears, but, but I'm, so, I'm so thankful and I'm so impressed by your ability to come and willingness to do that in this, in this context. We all know what that's like, and the challenge is, For those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus living in this world, because it's not home, all sorts of fear and uncertainty can begin to creep into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives. When we see people around us doing things and saying things and moving in a direction that is not the way that we think God wants us to live. And the question is not, I think, for us, is that fear and uncertainty going to arise? The question is, how does it impact our behavior? The things that we fear, the uncertainties that we feel in life, it impacts our behavior. It causes us to do things or not do things. 
And the question for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, and we've been asking this question, how does God want us to live in a culture that is increasingly secular and divided? How does God want us to live? How does he want us to act? The question for, uh, for us is not, is uncertainty and fear going to arise in our hearts and our minds as the world around us goes their way and we go our way? The question is, how do we allow that to impact what we do and what we say and how we behave? We've been saying over the course of this series that there's really four main responses that, that people end up having as followers of Jesus in an uncertain world. And I'll run through the four of those. Those of you who've been here over the last few weeks, you've heard these before. But uncertainty and fear can cause us to do a number of things. It can cause us to fall into hopeless compromise where we give up and we say, well, it's not really worth it to live the way that God calls us to live or to believe this. We'll just become like the people around us. Some people fall into that. Some of us fall into fearless isolation where we say, I'm going to have nothing to do with the world around me so that I'm not corrupted and that I, I, like nothing bad happens to me. And so we find our own little pocket and we just live there. Some of us end up engaging in restless revolt where we say we become fearful and uncertain about the world around us. And so we fight back with all that we're worth to try and change things. But we've been saying, I think that God and I think Peter here in this letter to the early believers who also lived in a very secular and divided culture, is that we as followers of Jesus are called to what we're calling faithful engagement. And if there's one verse in First Peter that I think sums this up well, how you and I are to live in this world that we live in, it's First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, which says this, honor everyone, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Next week, you've been waiting for this. Next week is honor the emperor, all right? That should be a fun one. That should be interesting. We'll take all sorts of questions. We'll, we'll have a lively discussion. And it'll be real fun to see if I have a job by next Sunday afternoon, all right? But this week, this week we're going to do fear God. This week we're talking about fearing God. And that term, fearing God, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The term fearing God is an interesting phrase because we fear all sorts of things. But what does Peter mean for you and for me when he tells us to fear God? Well, I think at the very root of it, the same way that our fears of other things end up driving our behaviors, what Peter is telling you and me is that we should have a healthy fear of God that drives our behaviors. And you might say, well, you don't think Peter means to be afraid of God. I think he kind of does a little bit. I've heard many times preachers and, and authors talk about fearing God and saying, well, fearing God is just like worship of God. It's, it's just respect for God. But there are other words that the authors in the Bible could have used. They use the word worship and they use other words to describe our relationship with God. But then there's also this, word, this phrase that's used throughout scripture that we are to fear God. And that doesn't mean that we're fully afraid of him, that we can't come to him and not have a relationship with him. But there does need to be in our lives as followers of Jesus, if we are going to live the life that God calls us to live, especially in an uncertain world, there does need to be a sense where we're a little bit afraid, a little bit fearful of God. Like a parent who loves their child like crazy. 
but doesn't hesitate to step in when discipline's necessary. Or I think about C.S. Lewis, who in his books, The Chronicles of Narnia, chose a lion, a lion to represent Christ. And the question comes up in those books, is, is he good? And they say, yes, the lion is good, but he's not tame. He's good, but he's powerful. And so the same way we look at God, he is good and he is loving and he is just, but he is also awesome and holy and powerful. And a healthy fear of the Lord is really important for us as followers of Jesus. It does at least two things in your life, in my life. And Peter writes about those two things in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He says this. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing for... Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." I think Peter reminds us, he reminds you and he reminds me that there's at least two benefits in our lives for having a healthy fear of God. For understanding that God is love and that he is, he is merciful and he is gracious and he is compassionate, but that he is also powerful and he is also mighty and he is also in charge. It does two things for us. As you and I live in a world filled with uncertainty, as you and I, as followers of Jesus, live in a world and wonder how we're supposed to live when other people are living in the other direction. And the first thing it does is fearing God, fearing God keeps you and me from causing trouble. Fear of God keeps you and me, it stops us from causing trouble. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. In this passage, Peter quotes a psalm. Do you see the text? If you're looking at the text, either on your phone or you're looking in the book or you're looking up on the screen, do you see where the quotation marks come in in verse 10? You see how that's indented and it's separated from the rest of the passage? That's because Peter is quoting an Old Testament psalm. He's quoting a prayer that was written hundreds of years earlier by David. 
And he says this, he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And Peter's reminding us in this text, and he's using David's words to do it, that when we have a healthy understanding of who God is and that he's in control and that he's in charge, it helps stop us from doing the things that we shouldn't do. And that's a good thing in our lives. It stops us from engaging in what that first phrase is that we talked about just a moment ago. A healthy fear of God stops us from hopeless compromise. It stops us from just giving in and doing the things that everyone around us does just because everyone else around us is doing them. It gives us strength to hold on and live the lives that God calls us to live, even though the people around us don't understand and even though the people around us may not even like it. But if God's ultimately in control and he's the one in charge, then our understanding of who he is and our fear of him keeps us in line and it causes us to do the work that he calls us to do. The other day, uh, my daughter asked me a question. We were driving in the car and she said to me, Dad, were you ever grounded? Don't you love questions like that from kids? <laughs> and the answer, the real answer, the true answer is um, quite often. Which time would you like to hear about? That's the real answer. But I can't give that answer in that moment. I have to kind of play it off a little bit. And I have to say something like, was I ever grounded? Let me think about that. It's really challenging to think of a time, but I can think of this one time that I was grounded. And so I told my daughter about this time, this time that uh, I was already in trouble for something else that I can't remember, but I was already grounded. And my friends were going to see a movie and I was grounded. And I asked, can I go see the movie? The answer was no, you're already grounded. Again, no reason, no idea why, but I know I was grounded. And so I was at the house and I thought to myself, you know what? I bet I can sneak out of here and no one will know I'm gone and I can go see this movie and everything will be fine. So I left my house and this was the day before cell phones. Uh, so it was much easier to do. I left my house. I got into my car. I drove to the movie. I met my friends at the movie theater. We went in and we saw the movie. And I'll never forget walking out of the movie theater into the movie lobby, and there was my father, right there in the middle of the lobby. I don't remember what I was grounded for before I saw the movie, but I know that after the movie, I was grounded for a while. And I'll tell you the worst decisions that I made growing up when it came to following parents' rules the worst decisions that I made were because I feared my friend's perspective of me more than my parents. Like the worst decisions I made was that I feared my friend's perspective of me more than my teachers, more than the other authority figures in my life. And as Christians, we end up making some of our worst decisions when we're more afraid of the people around us than we are fearful of the God who created us and loves us and who we'll be with. And so a right fear of the Lord, it helps us make wise decisions, even in an uncertain world. It stops us from falling into hopeless compromise and giving in. But it does something else in our lives, in your life and my life. 
Healthy fear of the Lord, it also stops us from being troubled. It stops us from causing trouble, and it stops us from being troubled. Peter, in the text, he asked this question. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Instead, he says to do this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Not only does the fear of the Lord stop us from causing trouble, it also stops us from being troubled as we watch the world around us. And it stops us from bringing about the right thing in the wrong way. I think when I look at us as Christians and I look at us as, as the church, and I mean not just Mount Hope Church, but Big C Capital Church, all Christians around the world. Sometimes because we get fearful in the midst of uncertainty and we want so badly to see God's way done around the world and in the cultures around us that we make some of our worst decisions because our hearts are troubled. And so we try to bring about the right thing in the wrong way. Rather than trusting that God's got it. Rather than, as Peter says here, being willing to suffer even unjustly and ultimately believe that God's in control. I said that Peter quotes Psalm 34 here. One of the reasons that's an important psalm in this passage it's because King David, and some of you, you remember King David, David and Goliath, King David, that David. He writes this psalm when he's on the run from King Saul. If you don't know David's story, David, when he was young, was anointed the next king of Israel. The only problem with that is that there already was a king named Saul. And David knew that when Saul was done, it was his turn to be king. The problem with Saul was Saul didn't really like the fact that there was another king waiting for when he was dead. That made him nervous, fearful, uncertain. So Saul took matters into his own hand and he began to pursue David and try to kill him. David is on the run from Saul and two times we find out in scripture, two times David could have killed Saul without Saul even seeing it coming. But both times, David didn't do it. And both times, David said something to the effect of, I'm not going to bring about the right thing in the wrong way. I'm not going to bring about justice in an unjust fashion. I'm not going to force God's will to happen. I'm going to trust that God's in control of this process. And I think that's highly significant for us as Christians when we worry about where things are going around us and what might happen tomorrow. That rather than try to bring about right things in a wrong way or bring about just things in an unjust way that we would trust, that God's in control through it all. Paul says, or Peter says, instead of, instead of being troubled, we have to be ready to talk to people about the hope that resides within us. 
And when I fear God and I know that he's in control, it frees me up to live a hopeful life. And Peter says, be ready when you live like that because people are going to come and they're going to ask you. All these people that are living, looking for hope and searching for hope, they're going to come and ask you, how is it that you have hope in the middle of a pandemic? How is it that you have hope in all this uncertainty? How is it that you have hope in the midst of all this division? Peter says, be ready to answer. And do it with gentleness and respect. It requires proximity. And so in that case, not only does fear of God stop us from hopeless compromise, but it also stops us from engaging in fearful isolation where we separate ourselves from the world. Peter doesn't leave that open to us. It stops us from engaging in reckless revolt where we take matters into our own hands and try to make things happen under our own strength. Rather, we live lives of faithful engagement where we do what God calls us to do and we do it in a way that opens up the door for other people to meet Jesus. That is not an easy thing to do. But I believe it's what God calls us to do. We're going to close this sermon time by taking communion together. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are more than welcome to take communion with us this morning. There's communion cups located in the chairs in front of you. And if, you, and if you're not comfortable taking communion this morning, that's fine. Just leave it there. That's no problem. If, you're sitting in, if you don't have communion cups or if they're not all available, you could raise your hand and our ushers will make sure that you get communion if you would like it. So I can see a couple people in the back there. Our ushers are grabbing it. There's some in the back. Uh, we'll make sure that you have communion. Some upstairs as well, if we can make sure it gets upstairs. There's really only one way to truly get rid of fear in life. Really, the only way to get rid of fear in life is to 100% know the outcome of what's going to happen in life. That's the only way to really get rid of fear in our life. Uh, Fear is our ability to project into the future. It's a good thing. If you were completely fearful of flying, but you had 100% guarantee that that plane was going to arrive safely... Perhaps you would be, your fear of flying would go away because you knew with absolute certainty, 100%, that nothing bad was going to happen on that flight. The only way to truly get rid of being afraid in life and fear in life is to, with 100% certainty, know the outcome of what happens. As we come to the table this morning, I'll remind you, That because of who Jesus Christ is and because of his death and resurrection, we know the outcome. It doesn't mean today is easy. It doesn't mean tomorrow is easy. I'm fairly confident it's going to become harder to be a Christian in our world than easier over the next few years. I think it's going to continue to be harder. So we come to the table today and remember, 
that as it becomes more difficult to follow Jesus Christ in our world, as it becomes more challenging in some ways to live the life that he calls us to, rather than be overcome with the uncertainty and fear, we'd be reminded that we know how it ends. My prayer is we'd be able to live in such a way that others would find the hope that we have along the way. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, and I want to read these verses, then we'll take communion together. As Jesus was sending out his disciples, his 12 disciples, he said this to them, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And then talking about those wolves that existed in the world, this is what Jesus said to them. He said, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the rooftops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And are not one of them, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I don't know what you're fearful of this morning. I don't know what's uncertain in your life. I do know this. God loves you. And he's got you. In the end, he wins. Jesus came, suffered and died on the cross, broke his body and shed his blood that you and I might find real forgiveness for all the times that the fear and uncertainty of this world have caused us to compromise. For all the times God said to do something and we didn't do it. For all the times that God said not to do something and we did it. And you and I know the end. So would you, as we hold these elements in our hands, would you pray with me for a moment? God, we thank you for your goodness to us through Christ. Thank you for the certainty that comes through knowing him. God, I thank you for the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that comes through the cross. Help us to live lives. Help us to live lives that bring you honor and glory. Help us to fear you well. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night before he went to the cross, Jesus was having a meal with his disciples. At that meal, he took bread that was on the table. And he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together this morning. And after dinner, after Jesus had given his disciples time to pull the cellophane off of their cups, A little bit different today. 
After that meal, Jesus grabbed a, a, took a cup that was on the table, and he held it up. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. Thank you, Lord.